patients at risk. Before we start the show, I'd like to share a few words from our sponsor, SomiDocs. Physicians today are looking for new ways to grow, from side ventures they spend their free time creating to crucial messages they want amplified through the airwaves. My name is Donna Coriel, and as a board-certified internist whose career was impacted firsthand by the power of online networking, I decided to build a digital space that helps us all do this on a platform called SomiDocs, or DoctorsOnSocialMedia.com. There, we regularly facilitate the networking of motivated and talented physicians, create resources that help our health experts grow voices or businesses online, and showcase each one of you in super unique ways, not to mention circulate your content to our social following. You can join one of our newest portfolio memberships, depending on the niche you're focusing on, like speaking, podcasting, writing, coaching, or courses, or join the network and get access to it all. The ultimate goal is to pack together a hive of innovative experts who are excited to learn from each other and grow. So check us out and join us where your work fits at doctorsonsocialmedia.com. And now we'll start the show. Welcome to Patients at Risk, a discussion of the dangers that patients face when physicians are replaced with non-physician practitioners. I'm your host and the co-author of the book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare, Dr. Rebecca Bernard. And thanks so much for joining us for part two of our discussion of radiology extenders with Dr. Phil Schaefer and Dr. Sharon D'Souza. Thanks again for joining us uh, for a second time. Where we left off, at the last episode, Phil was talking about the use of artificial intelligence. And, you know, I did notice that Dr. Jaw, in his pro radiologist extender argument, he said that really he felt that ultimately radiology was just really going towards uh, automation and that using radiology extenders was sort of a bridge until we got to automation. So Phil, talk a little bit more about you said that there have been studies on artificial intelligence that are touted as saying that it's just as good as a real radiologist, but that there are a lot of flaws to those studies. Right. The studies primarily on artificial intelligence are whether or not they can recognize a spot somewhere in a lung, in a breast. And that's 5% of what we do. The rest of it is, and I'll give an anecdote to show you. When I was learning radiology as a student, I worked with the chairman of our department, and he would play a game with us. He would turn over the clinical history, and he would say, tell me everything you can about this patient. And we had to figure out what the patient's social history was, maybe what their occupation was. So basically, you know, it's about telling a story about the patient. And it goes deeper than that because you get into thinking about what other pathologies they have other than what's obvious, how are things contributing. That's the interpretation. It's not just lesion finding. And AI is one of a number of technologies that have been developed in the past 20 years. We've seen this story before. The one that's familiar to a lot of people is RESTCAD, which was used as a computer-aided diagnosis, supposedly increasing the radiologist's ability to find lesions. Well, this got passed through the FDA on the strength of one paper. And as a result of that, the company sold CAD 
computers to to practices at one hundred ninety thousand dollars a piece, you could not be seen as being behind the curve and un and unsophisticated technically. So there's an arms race, and everyone wound up getting these CAD machines. The radiologists, by and large, are saying these aren't that good; they don't help. But nevertheless, it went on, and then ten years later. They managed to accumulate enough patients in a good study that showed that, yes, indeed, it was useless. Oh, my gosh. Useless? So after all that expense, kind of like electronic health records were supposed to revolutionize and change the system. And instead, they just made it a lot more expensive. They have pros, of course. But uh, why is healthcare getting so expensive? I think that you've just given us a really good example. Well, yes, uh, Phil and I, you know, both we both read uh, mammography, and I got to tell you, sometimes you just kind of like, you know, um, it'll point out the implant. You're like, really? I'm not going to call an implant back. That's just a normal finding. Come on. You just kind of laugh it off. And honestly, I think sometimes CAD probably increases recall rates, you know, just because you feel like, oh, maybe, maybe I should do something about that. They saw something, so maybe I should. I mean, I, I, I think most of us kind of just, don't use yeah. it as much as intended. <laughs> but, but since the yeah. horse is kind of out of the barn, there's no putting it back, right? Even those studies are showing everybody that everybody has it. Yes, wow. everybody has it now. And I, I believe in a prior practice, I was, I, you know, I got in trouble because it wasn't in my template that CAD was utilized during the during this interpretation. And so we all had to go back and take all of our templates and add this little, um, this one little statement so that we could get reimbursed. CAD will put as many marks on a film as you tell it to. You can turn up the sensitivity. And when we first got mm-hmm. it, it was putting five marks per case. Yeah. Now keep in mind that there are about four cancers per thousand that we see, four or five. So for those thousand cases, you're getting 5,000 marks and four of them are correct. We've got to sort through and figure those out. <laughs> yeah. My my real fear about AI, though, is that it'll be sold to administrators as a way of saving money because you can get rid of radiologists. You can put a an MP or an RA in front of that AI machine. The AI machine will spit out a report. It can write it so it sounds professional. And all you have to do is have someone sign it. And that there will scary. be a strong temptation by administrators to replace actual review by radiologists with unsophisticated review by non-radiologists. Well, you know, I think AI just sounds so glamorous and kind of sexy and definitely a lot more interesting than somebody sitting in a dark room (laughs) looking at pictures. Uh, But the reality is that most of it really hasn't lived up to the hype. I mean, there are definitely revolutions in healthcare that have come from the use of computerization, but there still has to be that human involvement. And it's certainly not gotten to the point where it can outthink a human, at least not yet. And it sounds like not, certainly not yet in radiology. But what I find interesting is that this very expensive technology that ultimately doesn't seem to really add to clinical decision-making was instituted based on what sounds are like to be relatively flawed studies. And that's something that we see a lot when we're looking at the use of extenders. When we review studies, they're often sold as, wow, this study shows that this professional is just as good as a physician. But when you read the fine print, you learn that that's 
there's a lot of caveats. So Phil, tell us about this study that came out in 2020. It was actually online. It didn't make it into real print, and we'll talk about why. And this was published, or at least online, uh, and it was called Radiology Extenders Impact on Thoroughput Q2 and Accuracy for Routine Chest Radiographs. Tell us what that study looked at. Well, that was a really appalling study. Let me use that adjective. What they were trying to do was show that when they used non-radiologists, they helped move studies through the department faster and that they also were not missing things. Here are some of the issues with this. The study participants, the non-radiologists, were two radiology technologists. And recall, we said that they are not allowed to interpret or they lose their registry. And they were put in a position to do this, and they did it. And they were supposedly reviewed by the staff, and they were compared to residents, which led to a serious problem we'll get to in a moment. But they showed that there was some improvement in throughput, and they also said that there was no statistically significant difference in accuracy. But of the 186 studies that they reviewed closely, and I would say only 186, six of them had significant differences, or significant errors, three of which were judged possibly to be dangerous to the patient, could have caused serious problems. So let me take you back um, for just one quick second, Phil, just to clarify. Yeah. These were yeah, sure. these were only chest x-rays, which remember Dr. Jaw says are very right. simple. <laughs> so they're just chest right. x-rays. They have two radiology assistants or radiology techs that they ask to do a preliminary read. And then they have two resident physicians that are in training. Do they say how far along in their training they were? They did not. No. Okay. So we don't know if they're very junior or if they're about to graduate. We have no idea. Yeah. Also remember that, you know, re residents are there, they're working, but they're also there to learn. So they're doing very thorough, you would hope evaluation, and maybe they have to look something up or read about something. So we're not talking about fully fledged radiologists were talking about in training and they were simply looking at chest x-rays and then the senior physicians the attending physicians then overread all of the x-rays and then they analyzed how fast were those x-rays able to be processed and completely read meaning read first by the preliminary and then by the attending and then how many errors were made by the assistance versus the residents. So right. what they concluded was that the radiology assistants speeded up the process and they, they claimed that without significant difference in results. But Phil, what you're saying is that there were differences in the results. Can you go over that again? Sure. They had a, a second group of people look over the final interpretations, importantly, uh, but they had six of the 186 that they reviewed had significant errors, three of which were judged to possibly be dangerous. Importantly, these studies from what they wrote were all actually overread by the faculty. So these errors were not caught by the faculty, which says something about how closely they were overread. There was one study uh, of the resonant group that was judged to be a significant error, but not a dangerous one. Now, these are really small numbers, 
And they claim not as you're the patient though, Phil. Like if those, right. I'm sorry, but if those radiology assistants looked at a quote simple chest X-rays uh, supposedly, and three of them, three out of 186 interpretations were dangerously wrong. If I'm one of those three people, maybe I die. I mean, to me, that's a big deal. Yes, exactly. They used some statistics to say it wasn't significant, but I'm going to point out one other thing here. In their introduction, they note how important it was to them to save money by using these people, which is to say they are not uninterested arbiters. They are not skeptical scientists. They are promoting a business entity. And therefore, I don't believe much of anything that was in that paper. So that's a bias, right? Because you already go Correct. into it wanting a certain result. You're not blinded. I mean, I guess they're blinded in the sense that someone else read it, but they wanted this to work. I would also yes. say there's maybe another um, bias about the involvement of the residents. I, I don't know if um, an attending told me I had to participate in something that I would feel that I could say no as a as a trainee. Or I don't I don't know if they were um, informed about this or or I'm, I'm I'm not quite sure if the details of how that occurred. So you're exactly right, Sharon. And in fact, I want to give a lot of credit to Phil and one of his colleagues, who's also a board member and a radiologist, a board member of Physicians for Patient Protection, because when the two of them saw this study, they had grave concerns about it because of the the flaws in it, but also because of the ethical question about involving residents, which are physicians, in training. And that ultimately what they said in their summary, and, and there was a headline that read, radiology extenders outperform radiology residents with chest x-ray interpretations. So basically you're calling out those residents saying, look, somebody that barely got any training did better than you did. And they actually published the names of these residents, not in, in, in the body of the, of the article, but at the end in the acknowledgments, it put their names in there. So how is that supposed to, how can that not have a negative impact? What did you think when you saw that, Phil? Well, it's, I would be furious if I were the resident. In fact, we got some feedback from some of the residents that they were furious. It also was actually using human subjects, which were the residents, without their consent. And my colleague on the PPP board tried to get the paper pulled by talking to the editor of the journal, and there was no satisfaction there. She immediately wrote the provost of the university pointing out the ethical issue there. And within hours, the paper was offline. Yeah, it so, it, it was such um, a victory, I would say, for physicians. And I want to give a lot of credit to Phil and to your colleague and to PPP because we sent this letter on behalf of our organization and it was penned by Phil and his colleague. I threw my name on there just because I'm the de facto president although I didn't do any of the actual hard work of creating this document. But what Phil and the other board member did was went through point by point and shared the different ethical and, and other dilemmas that they found in this article. Number one, they tried to claim that this was a QI or quality improvement study instead of an actual research study, which it really was. And so that they claimed that because it was a QI that it should have received a IRB 
exemption, meaning it did not have to go through a board review process and that they didn't have to get all this you know, consent. And there's a regimen that you have to go through to experiment on human subjects. Right, Phil? Correct. That's absolutely true. And they did not do that. Yeah. And then number two, they failed to protect the identity of the research subjects, as we mentioned. The other thing that they said is that the, and and you mentioned this, Bill, is that these residents couldn't exactly say no, because if they said no, that could have had a negative impact on their training, even though it shouldn't. We know that unfortunately these things happen. So what was really amazing, as you mentioned, very quickly from when this letter was sent to the vice provost for research, and also copies were sent to the research integrity officer at University of Pennsylvania. And very quickly, the article was pulled. It's no longer able to be seen online, and it was not published in print. Although, if you Google search it, you'll still see some news articles and headlines touting that radiology extenders can outperform resident physicians. But fortunately, we were able to get that article pulled and received a letter back from the University of Pennsylvania from the senior vice provost for research Don Bunnell. And what they wrote was, after carefully considering your letter, the University of Pennsylvania's Human Research Protection Program personnel, the last named author on the publication, and I continue to believe that the initiative conducted and reported in the article was properly interpreted as a QI initiative but they acknowledged that the verbal consent process was inadequate. And they said, considering the circumstances and out of respect for the participants, they have elected to formally withdraw the article. So it, it, even though they withdrew it, you can hear that they're, they're not really taking as much responsibility as we would have hoped. Sharon, what are your thoughts when you, hear, when you heard about that response? Well, I, I'm 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 glad for the residents that it was taken out. I, I I don't know from that response if they've really quite learned their lesson. I'm not quite sure if they won't try to do this in another way, in another form. So I am still a little concerned given their their history. I'll say this, Dr. Jaw's presentation. Of course, he's from the same section of the same institution. Came several months after that article was pulled. Their enthusiasm for doing this is no less. They didn't get a publication out of it. I don't think they care that much. But the important thing to them is the money, and they're going to keep going for it. I do want to give a shout out. Do you guys know Dr. Kara Purim? She was the person, I might be, I might be seeing her name wrong because it was hard to hear on the audio, but she gave the, the response, the, the concerns about radiologist extenders. And I thought she was very impressive and she did an excellent job. So if she's out there, uh, great job. Thank you so much for representing. And knowing that it's, it's kind of tough to be, put yourself out there and to say these things, these concerns, especially when you have academicians standing up there telling you that everything you're concerned about is just a myth and that you have no reason to be concerned. And did you notice that quite a lot of the comments from the audience were in support of Dr. Karapuram. I did, and I was glad to see that. Because again, uh, the vast majority of radiologists, there's, I mean, more radiologists go into private practice than academics. We are the ones in the trenches, and we're bearing the brunt of 
what's happening in academia. You know, those when he's putting out articles that that denigrate our profession and undervalue, undermine our expertise, that's not great for us. Do you think that he just maybe didn't understand? I mean, of course, I know there's secondary gain and there's finances and there's lots of other things that we could possibly point to, but is it possible that as an academic radiologist, he might just not understand what is happening in the real world? I mean, I shouldn't say real world, but in the trenches, we'll say. I I do wonder about that. You you know, there were certain comments about, oh, you're crushing the list. And, you know, that's something that we have to do. We have to do that in, in, in private practice. That's something that all of us radiologists need to be able to do. We, we need to take care of our patients. And yeah, it's a little concerning. I'm not quite sure that he sees what's happening in private practice. I don't know. I don't know that he can relate to that. One of the things that Dr. Kara Purim said, I wrote it down because I just loved it so much. After Dr. Jaw did about, it was supposed to be an hour presentation and part of it was supposed to include Q&A and Dr. Jaw took a full 30 minutes and didn't he ever. And, uh, you know, very deliberate, very meticulous. And um, Dr. Kara Purim said, she started out and she said, well, my, my goal tonight is not to bore you to death but to scare you to death. <laughs> I thought I thought that was so funny. And she actually uh, uh, pointed out, she used a resource from PPP, which was really cool. And she just went through point by point with the myths and, and refuted. She said, you know, residents are being affected. And I think some of them in the comments even stood up at the end and, and said that this is happening. So I just think that sometimes people need to maybe have their eye, eyes opened. I know I wasn't aware of a lot of these issues until someone brought them to my attention. And then once you see it, you almost can't not see it. It's it's everywhere. So I think that this is really important. And I'm just, I'm glad that they allowed that pro-con because it's not to say, you know, you're right on everything or you're wrong on everything, but hey, maybe there's some things that you haven't fully considered. Maybe you're well-intentioned, but you don't realize what this could lead to, or you think that this isn't affecting people, but it really is. So I just think it's great that we're having the dialogue. There was an interesting uh, upshot of this. The American College of Radiology, which is sort of the political arm of radiology, after this presentation, there was a lot of discussion on their private bulletin board about this. And it led to the American College of Radiology putting out a survey, which was very detailed, but the long and the short of it was that most radiologists do not want for radiology assistants to be getting direct payments outside of their relationship with the radiologist. And the ACR needed to see that. The ACR is sort of like the ACEP or AAEM in that it's a very heterogeneous mix. There are a lot of private practitioners. There are a lot of people who are employed by uh, private equity groups and they're academics. And not all of the motives are always aligned the same way for these people, but the ACR needed to see clearly, and they did, that there's a lot of opposition to using mid-levels in radiology. I should say, you know, Phil and I are both members of the ACR, but we don't represent them in any way. But I, I, I am 
very pleased that they have uh, really kind of showed themselves to be um, a membership driven organization. Just the fact that they have seen all these comments on our engage, um, our, our, um, our forum led to them forming a task force, forming a commission and developing this survey. Just the survey itself, I think is, is pretty impressive when I think something like 44,200 responses, completed surveys were returned. And that's, I think, over twice the usual response rate for any kind of survey. So radiologists, especially younger radiologists, are very concerned about this issue and are speaking up about it. Yeah, I saw some of the answers to that survey, and it was so interesting. So first of all, amazing response rate. That's really unusual uh, getting any surveys back with those kind of numbers. But the group that did not support direct reimbursement of radiology assistance, there was three times as many that did not support that legislation. And they, they only looked at people who really understood the role of radiology assistance and what the direct payment was all about. And what was interesting is that the people who were more in favor of radiology assistance were those who were actually in private practice, mid to late career, uh, interventional radiologists, sounds like using for like fluoroscopy, as you mentioned, those that are currently using them, and those that are not very concerned about future scope, which, you know, if they're later in their career, I guess they're not as worried. And then those who were more opposed to this legislation were younger residents and fellows. And actually in this study, um, more people in academia actually were opposed to it and people who were more concerned and also very interesting, men were more in support and women were more opposed. I don't know by how much. One thing that I also noticed was there was a slight skew to the West Coast that was opposed. And as a radiologist who's practiced and I practiced on the West Coast for 10 years, I think it's because Oregon and Washington are some of the furthest out there on scope of practice. So I've, I've seen some truly egregious things. Yeah, so I think when we have looked around and we've seen what happened in other specialties, we have seen firsthand what can happen. And it's not a, a fear of competition. It's not ego, it is true concern for patient safety. Because there were times where I think I may have been the only physician on record to see a patient. And that's very concerning to me. If, if my mom is in the hospital, I want her to be seen by physicians. And I, I, I fear that that's where we're headed. Yeah, patients are losing access. And you're 100% right. That's a really important nuance that I didn't pick up on. But the West Coast has had independent practice for nurse practitioners for many, many years. And they're many practicing autonomously. And so doctors that are working on the West Coast, their eyes are wide open to the unintended consequences that may occur from increasing the scope of practice of, of non-physicians doing medical evaluations. Bill, what were your thoughts on the study results? Well, I thought, thought it was fascinating, and I was happy that the ACR did it. I hope it leads to some action. I will point out one other thing. A PPP member put out her own survey prior to this and got 90-some-odd percent opposition. And so the ACR, I think, felt pressured by this to put out their own more formal and more detailed survey, which basically showed the same thing. Very interesting. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and I would say that maybe some of that difference is that the ACR only surveyed their membership. 
there are a lot of young people and, and mid to late career people who are on social media. So there was probably more access to that survey itself. And I, you know, the ACR kept their survey open for two whole weeks. I think the, the social media survey was, gosh, maybe open two, three days and probably surpassed these numbers. Wow. In our last few minutes, I just want to talk about the fact that the idea is that there's not enough radiologists, there's not enough supply to meet the demand. So I have two questions. First of all, do you think that that's true? Do you agree that that there are not enough radiologists to meet demand? And number two, other than using extenders, what are some other realistic ideas that we could do to increase the supply of well-trained radiologists? I, I agree. I think our numbers have stayed too low. As, as, um, as we all know, residency slots have been capped since 1997. And as we've talked about earlier, the utilization of radiology, the, the number of images, the number of studies, the, the number of um, more intense, more involved studies has just increased exponentially in that time. And we have not kept up with the production of radiologists to meet that demand. And um, I, I, I do think we're overdue, we're long overdue for more residency slots and to utilize these unmatched graduate medical students. I, I would agree. We need more radiologists. And one of the aspects of this that we can't ignore is the economic side of it. And that is that there are a lot of people employed by hospitals now and employed by PE firms, and uh, they take a good cut of the professional fees that come to the radiologists. So they they are interested in uh, keeping their incomes up too. So they are not necessarily interested in hiring more radiologists. It, it seems like definitely increasing residency slots for radiologists. Uh, maybe some type of utilization review process so that some of the excessive tests that maybe are not appropriate or indicated get weeded out. I, that, of course, that's going to go against the income factor, the profit factor. So that'll be a hard battle to fight. Is there any role for shortening radiology residency? Do you see any role for that? Personally, I feel like no education is wasted. I, I personally feel like I, I, I learned something every year, every single day in, in training. I still look things up every day. There's a vast amount of knowledge that we need to know. I, I truly do think it all had value. I mean, even my, my surgery intern year, I mean, I, I was very sleep deprived, and, you know, um, very fatigued, but you know what? I, I, I learned a lot and that goes into my radiology training. I, I, you know, sometimes think of things from a surgical perspective and I, I, I worked on my my um, suture skills and whatnot. So <laughs> I think it all has value. I think with increasing advanced technology, there's always going to be something new to learn. So I, I think it would be hard to take something away. I'm, I'm sure it would be possible, but I, I just don't know. Residency is lengthened, I think, in part due to the uh, increase in the um, complexity and the number of modalities we need to cover uh, when I started, oh, I don't want to say this, but I will. <laughs> CT really did not exist. So it was something everyone was picking up. And then MR came on, and that's an entirely different field with an entirely different set of things to learn, uh, including the technique of it. So 
every resident should probably be spending at least six months working on MR and learning that in depth. And so, yeah, the residency got lengthened for that reason. Here's the problem. As there was appropriate increase in time of training to make sure people knew what they were doing, suddenly we see academics trying to go the other way and say, well, we're going to let these people in who got two months of sitting with a with a faculty member and let them do radiology too. And this just it makes no sense to me. I want to thank all my radiology colleagues out there because I definitely couldn't practice family medicine without your amazing assistance and help in making these difficult diagnoses. And I rely on you and I trust you. And that's why to me, it's so very important that the radiologist is not removed from the equation. And uh, not only just for my patients, but one day I'll be a patient just like everybody. So we need to make sure that physicians remain as a part as the leader of the healthcare team. And we don't just pass the buck to someone with less training to potentially save a few dollars. So I really enjoyed talking with both of you. I thank you so much for joining me. Of course, if you want to learn more about this topic, I encourage you to get my book. It's called Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare. It's available at Amazon and at Barnes and Noble. And you've heard a couple examples of how PPP has already made an impact on the culture of medicine and this shift away from physician-led care. So if you'd like to get more involved, we hope you will. We'd like for you to join us. Our website is physiciansforpatientprotection.org. Thanks so much, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Mm -hmm.